<laughs> yeah, I, I just uh, before I start, you know, I think that the trick in Christianity is we, we, we sang this song, um, he, and we, we, we sing about the character of Jesus, you know, his counselor, his wisdom, his omnipotent. How many of you know what omnipotent is that you sang with so much passion? <laughs> but he's omnipotent. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> what is that again? Yeah, anyway, but uh, he's all those great things, you know. And um, look, we, we don't get prizes, you know, for how many adjectives we can add to him in a worship song. He's magnificent, great, awesome. I mean, I can just go on and rack it up, you know. But the trick about Christianity is how does the fact that he is your counselor change the way that you are today? Then we become relevant. And that is the question, not how well we are able to give and ascribe different characters to him. I mean, I want to say that's meaningless in some ways. The question in the heart of God is how does who he is change the way that you are today? I, I know I, I say it sometimes, but it's for me amazing when, when God came to earth and declared who he is, right? What would you have done? The magnificent one, the great one, the awesome one. He, 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 I mean, but wait, let God come to earth, become flesh, and tell us who he is. Are you guys ready? I am a break. Right? Uh, I am a door. He didn't go for the magnificent, the great, the awesome. But every, every way that he revealed himself is in context of us. I am the bread and you will be satisfied by me. I don't care what your worship songs sing and how many adjectives you can include in this. The question is, is he satisfying you in a real way? Right? I'm, I am a vine. <laughs> I mean, surely, man, there's just so many, so many greater trees even that he could choose. But a vine. And then, you are the branch. How does the fact that I give life to you. I provide uh, um, the sap, the energy in you. It is, there's a relevancy in who he is. Otherwise, we're just singing a bunch of words, right? That's the question of, of really of worship, all right? So again, I, I trust something because I've really enjoyed this morning. There was so much of an emphasis on Jesus. It's like turn to Jesus, Right? And I know it's a little bit of an, it's like, could be so uh, um, over, like, labored in the church. And it's so the right words. But the point is whether we've turned to Jesus will not show whether we sing it in our songs, but how it shows in our lives. Because He is, I am. Different. And I, I trust that that which is mere theory or mere... Christian status quo will just become reality. That's the aim. Who he is changes the way that we, we are. We become the light of the world. So cool. Anyway, I've got a, um, a couple of verses that I want us to consider in the book of Hebrews. 
And uh, um, I'll, I'll just say something about the book of Hebrews, because it is good to have a little bit of a context of the book of Hebrews. So the Hebrews is written to Hebrew people, right? It is uh, written to um, Jews, Israelis. But I just want to say something concerning that, maybe, in, in helping to understand the book. You must understand, for a first century Jew, at least that became a believer, he has 2,000 to 3,000 years history with God and how God has always taken his people from Abram, Isaac, Jacob, you know, Joseph into Egypt, the whole deal, Babylon, David, and, you know, it was this journey that God has for him. And throughout all of that journey, there was always a promise of the Messiah, for God will save our people. And so the Messiah come, the Holy Spirit get poured out, has been prophesied, and on one day, 3,000 people get saved. These Jews get so excited because they are tasting the fulfillment of these prophecies that's always been there. And it's just a matter of time, of course, that all of God's people, Israel, will turn to God. And no, this is God's next step with His people. And five, ten years down the line, they stole the only group that has chosen the Lord. And much of their countrymen still decided to stick with it. I don't know if you guys, when you just got saved, and you experienced Jesus, I mean, you know, you've always heard about it in church, and your parents have spoken about it, but now it's become real in your life, and it's everything and more that you've ever expected. You know, it's better than anything. Oh. And then you have this looking forward to your life of Jesus. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. If it's great now, just think how it's going to be down the line. And in five, ten years down the line, not everything worked out as you thought. Look, we all giggle because it's happened to all of us. This thing didn't pan out quite as much as we thought. You know, that first year, man, I conquered my struggles and my sin like... There was just like these two, three maybe remaining. But I mean, this is a matter of time. After one year so much, five, six years down the line. Jeez. Still the same struggles. And sometimes as I think now the real stuff is really coming out and I'm actually worse off than I ever thought, you know. <laughs> the problem with these guys have, they didn't have, they the first, they the first Christians. They didn't, they, there was no one before them that could have told them, look, there's a journey. Huh? They were naive enough and all those type of things. And suddenly, like 20 years down the line, they as this group of believers are thinking, our countryman hates us. They have not turned to the Lord as we all thought they would. We are actually alone now. And is it really, really worth it? Right? The fast that we had in the beginning. And so in this moment then, the writer of Hebrews writes to them and speak encouragement and speak life to them. And if you, there's a lot to say about the book of Hebrews, but what the writer ultimately is convinced of, if you would read the commentary of uh, Andrew Murray on the book of Hebrews, he says a lot, Andrew Murray, he has a tendency to say a lot. I mean, he writes, uh, 
uh, I think it's a seven or eight hundred page book on the book of Hebrews. But then he, he goes and, and, and in his introduction he says, and he says, like, this is an issue, this is an issue, this is the issue, and this is this is this is the thing. And then he concludes and he says, but actually, but actually, what the writer of Hebrews have set out to do, and he was convinced if only they can turn back to Jesus, all would be well. And actually what he does in 12 of the 13 chapters is he reveals a different side of Jesus. Because he was convinced somehow through this 20 years, the looking unto him has just gone strangely dumb. And if only they could see him again, all would be well. And so I'm going to read you guys three verses. It's two is in chapter three and one is in chapter four. And it gives an encouragement. And so here we go. Uh, Hebrews 3 verse 6. And I'll explain it now, but let's just read here. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if, there's not so many ifs in the New Testament, but here's a big fat if. You all are looking for the if. I've got the if for you. If. Hi, Ashley. Good to see you. If we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope, Firm until the end. All right. Verse 14 of the same chapter. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, our confidence, firm until the end. Chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confidence. Three verses, three encouragement in chapter 3 and chapter 4 is this thing. When he throws it off, who Jesus is, he throws it off to us. Hold, hold fast, hold on, Just hold on. Now, I quickly want to uh, um, say something. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced certain areas in your, in your walk with the Lord, that there's some sort of dead end. That if you turn left, right, you're doomed. If you turn left, you, you just stop. So, so I had that experience in my marriage, actually. Right? My, 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 uh, I knew I was obeying Jesus. She's the right one. We did most of the things right into the process of getting married. And then this thing is not working as it says in the Bible it should work. <laughs> you know? All the things that I committed to do on my wedding day is not happening. And so, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm getting all kinds of advice, you know. It's like, you need to lead your wife stronger. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm not laughing anymore, baby. <laughs> you would listen to me now, okay? Okay, I tell you, that didn't work. That didn't work. <laughs> so, every, I get like, every, just help me, what must I do here? If I, nothing works, I'm stuck, I'm in a dead end. 
Really. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that in the walk and in your journey with the Lord, that if you go left, you're doomed. If you go right, you're doomed. It's like, it's for me the best when, when guys and girls are in the process of pursuing, you know. How sh- should I chase now? And then the chasing doesn't work. And then it's like, should I wait now? But this also doesn't work. It's like, and the guys are like, what must I do? It's like a dead end. I was in a dead end in my marriage. Left, right, up, down, nothing. I was stuck. But the only thing that I had was holding on. And says, Jesus, you've put us together. (laughs) You have a destiny for this marriage that somehow, somewhere, it needs to reflect something that you said in your Bible. Please, Jesus. I don't know. And I just hold on. I just hold on. And 10 years, maybe 10 years about, huh? <laughs> but 10 years down the line, I look back. And I can't, I can't say that I did, oh, this finally, this, this, thing, I, this thing I said. It wasn't this, this moment or anything that just I said or I did or I made this change of, okay, I'm going to approach it like this now. All that I did is, and really what was left, was holding on to the Lord. And looking back, I saw things have changed. He's di- he did what He said He would. And I, I want to say if you guys, the most, I think, the most effective way that God has to take us into what He has is His working. It's not your ability to figure out what to do. And our ability to hold on. So, chapter 3, verse 1. Let's look at the first hold on. It says, Therefore, holy brethren, all of you that are in Jesus, I can say this, therefore, holy brethren, Partakers of a heavenly call. Consider Jesus. Right? It's like we sing the song. Counselor, omnipotent, <laughs> wise, all those type of things. And we consider Him. Not considering to rack up our worship songs with adjectives. But considering how who He is will change the way that I am. Partaker of the heavenly calling. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. He just wants to just let us know this. You know, I know Moses was great, guys. I know Moses was great. Jesus is greater. He had to remind these guys this because they were considering to go back. Like, Moses was glorious. No, no. This one is more glorious. More glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a 
servant. For the testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a? It's beautiful. You want to be a servant or a son? Over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope, firm until the end. All right. This is what he says. Moses, by the way, built a house for God. They're in the desert, and, Moses, and God speaks to Moses. I want, to build, I want you to build a house. I'm going to give you the measurements, and you need to build it perfectly. This, you know, outside and the inside, and the inside we're going to divide in two parts. And right in the inside, right in the, the center of my house, there will be a holy of holies, and I will be there. And Moses, if you do a good job, and I like the house, I'm going to stay there. Yeah, you want to build a house for God, that God will dwell. And Moses built that house. He follows that measurements. Moses, the very particular personality, he was into detail. Luckily, God didn't ask me to build that one. We could say, <laughs> it's around about fine. <laughs> but he had Moses, a man with an eye for detail. And he built that measurements as we were knowing known, perfect. So that at the end, when God looked at that house and that measurements, he goes like, all right, I'm going to stay in this house. This is exactly as I set it out to be built. But there's someone greater than Moses. You thought Moses built a great house, right? You thought he did a good job. I mean, it was so good that God decided to live in there. But there's a greater builder than Moses, Jesus. And he is building his house even more perfect than Moses. You thought Moses is doing a good job. Jesus is doing a greater job. Whose house you are. Do you know what he's doing right now? He's looking at your life and he's building a house for him to dwell in. He's setting up a house who you are to be perfect. And you thought Moses was doing a great job. And listen, he's doing a great job. He did a great job. But there is one more glorious that's building an even greater house. Perfect who you are. And he knows exactly what to take you through. He knows exactly what people to put around you. He knows exactly what frustrations to bring over your life. He is the perfect builder. You need to trust him. You know, people many times say, you know, the higher the building, the deeper the foundation. I tell you, all of you at some stage did not trust the builder. All of you at some stage, at some stage, if I had the opportunity to build this house, would have built it differently. And sometimes he's built in the opposite direction, deeper and deeper, and I want to go higher and higher, and he's going down, down, down. Trust him. 
He's better than Moses. He's building a house perfect. You know, I, I, I sometimes say one of, the, one of the interesting thing about the tabernacle of Moses was the outside of the skin was badger skin. Badger skin is the most ugliest and dullest skin that you could get. There's something about the tabernacle. The deeper you go into it, the more glorious it is. But on the outside, it looked pretty dull. You know, if I would have built the house, <laughs> I would have put the gold on the outside. Let's hide the badger in the inside. And sometimes when he builds the house, who you are, you would have wanted the gold on the outside, Jesus. And then he puts the badger skin on the outside. <laughs> But he's working a deep work that sometimes only he can see. But if you go deep, you see the gold. Because that's beautiful for him, and that's where he would want to stay. Jesus is building a house, guys, perfect who you are, so that he can dwell in it. If, there's an if. Because not all people are complete buildings and will be seen to complete that building because there is a condition. If. Can we go to verse 6 again? If we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm till the end. There's a holding fast on our hope firm to the end. I've, uh, um, so many times I've seen like in working with people, that somebody says this at some stage, I've been walking with Jesus for five years. I've been walking with Jesus for six years, and he's just not sorting out this issue in my life. And it's almost this conclusion. This is probably as good as it gets. And I see how the hope fades in their lives. And right there, they put a ceiling on the work of God in their lives. I, 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 uh, um, I spoke to a, a woman that struggled with depression. And so she fought, she fought, she fought. And then one day, I saw it in her eyes, I saw the hope fading out. And she said, this is my lot. You know, this is my lot. And it's like very spiritually presented to me. I'm content. And I'm like, no, you've lost hope. You've let go of the hope. You've not held fast to that hope anymore. And right there, you put a ceiling on the work of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. You pluck out hope. You pluck out our whole Christianity. There is no faith without hope. And now we not wish, uh, like, uh, it's like sometimes Christians don't have hope, they've got fantasy. I'm not speaking about your little fantasies of becoming, you know, I'm speaking of a founded hope that Jesus has given us to hold on to of what he wants to do with us. This morning I want to ask, ha, has the hope just lost its grip. Have you settled in the name of contentment really for hopelessness? Because nothing sealings the work of God as much as a letting go of hope. 
Number two. Hebrews 3.14. For we have become partakers of Christ. Right? It's again. It's not we just have Christ in our songs. We partake of Him. <laughs> There's reality here. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance or confidence firm until the end. <clears throat> you know, one of, one of the things this, this holiday, I was uh, reading through the book of Samuel, and it was amazing for me, again, the story of um, David. And I know, I mean, we all grew up with the David and Goliath story. But I, I just, I mean, it's just like a fresh, you consider the David and Goliath story as they explain to you who Goliath is, just the size of him, the size of his armor, the size of his, you know, what he has done. Now, um, I, I kind of like sport, you know, just a little bit. And... Uh, um, it's, there's two ways to kind of predict who's going to win a certain game. The first one is you look at the fans, you know. Fans is like boxers, you know. All of them says, like, I'm going to smash you, right? And so fans is a very inaccurate way to look at what the result is going to be because we are so biased. But sometimes what I do, if I'm unsure of what the result is, is going to be, I'm going to a, a betting odds site. Because those guys don't care who wins. They've got no emotional attachment to it. They've got their money to it. And so what they want to know is, who has the... If I put money on the one guy, who's going to give me the best outcome? I don't care what colors they are. I don't care if they scream. I don't care if they're cute, if they're nice, or they're... I just want to know who's going to win. And I'm going to look to all kinds of variables to see who's going to be the best team. And then if you look at it, they will say, one to three chance that this team will win. Well, okay, so the one team has a three times better chance than the other team. Not what the fans are saying, what the, like the, the odds are saying. Now, can you imagine the odd makers and the David and Goliath fight? Oh, really now? So Goliath, literally three meters tall. And it didn't seem like those awkward three meter tolls, not that there is a human that's three meters tall, but it's like those guys that lives on stilts, it's so clumsy that you know they're going to fall over. This is actually a proper three meter bold guy that can stand and has this history of taking out so many people. In fact, he is feared all over. You sit with a boy, doesn't have armor. I mean, the weight class is extreme. He doesn't have a weapon. Goliath's weapon is as heavy as David is. I mean, probably literally. And David has to fight. And there's something when I read it that it stood out for me about David is the confidence. The confidence. And so David goes to Saul. And Saul is like, all right, all right, all right, we can, we can give you a shot here. But listen here, the odds is at one to a thousand here. Even Saul is like, eh. he's not saying that. It's like, at least, you know, let's just satisfy Goliath a little bit and give him something, you know. So it's like, he's got, I mean, everything in Saul doesn't. Saul is just like, let's just give the guy a chance. It's one to a thousand, one to ten thousand. I mean, the odds is ridiculous. Let's just give him my armor. 
And David's like, he's trying to wear it on, and he's, he tried to wear it, and he's like, no, it doesn't sit right. You know, this is the problem. As soon as I, and this is the word of Corinne, this is the word that came out today. As soon as I would look at me, the odds is one to a thousand. You want to give me new armor? Okay, the odds is one to 999. You really think that's going to make the difference here? We've got two days before the fight. Go jump a little bit, man. He realized, he realized that's not it. But David comes fully, the confidence is fully birthed. Fully birthed in the reality of Jesus. In the reality of God. And so when he stood in that fight, when he stood in the fight, Goliath is like, I mean, are you, are you serious? And David ran to Goliath saying, you come to me with a spear and whatever you do, your strength. And sure, if that will be the case, you will completely overpower me. But I come to you in the name of the Lord. Changes everything. Changes everything. And one of the big strategies of the enemy, I'm telling you, David's eyes, can you imagine David's eyes for one second of God? Just for one moment. Oh, shucks. Whoa. 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 Gone. And the confidence is gone with us. Because somewhere suddenly we went like, Oh, shucks. I can't do this. And fear strikes again. There's a battle for us to hold on to the confidence. Oh Lord, not the confidence from us, please. The battle is to keep our eyes on the Lord. And anything striking our confidence, not this confidence. Oh, that's the most ridiculous. Imagine David at some stage going, okay, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. Okay, Goliath, I'm ready for you. I mean, that's the most stupid. That's what many of us is. Actually, we need some, some plastic Goliaths that could just flatten us and rise us up again. It's like, okay, 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 I'm not doing that again. In some ways, the self-confidence is crushed. But the God confidence grows as we look unto Him. We hold on to that confidence. I, uh, um, before, uh, one time before I went to um, Russia, I've, I've done, uh, there was a time that we still had to do visas. I don't need a visa to go to Russia anymore. It's awesome. If anybody wants to join me, there's still an outreach and so on. But there was a time that I still had to go and get a visa to go to Russia. The relationship with Russia and South Africa wasn't so good at that stage as it is today. We were not friends as we are today. So I had to actually go in and get a, um, get a visa. And, um, you know, I've, I've done this visa process at that stage so many times. And every time they're there, they ask me this question, like, okay, what are you going to do there? And, um, of course, I'm not saying I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm saying, look, I'm, I'm going to go to the, all the tourist attractions and so on. Like, look at my passport like 20 times. I mean, there's just so much to see there. All right. So they asked me again, what are you going to do? And somehow, you know, but I'm, I'm completely relaxed because I, I know I'll wax this. I mean, it's, as I've been so many times before. And uh, um, I thought just like for a moment, maybe I'll just 
not just say tourist. I'm also going to say I'm going to visit some people there. Just, you know, to give a little bit of a balance between this. Went to, you know, the, the Kremlin for 20 times in the last five years. Just... So they asked me, you know, so what are you going to do there? I said, no, I'm going to go see some tourist sites and visit some friends. They said, are you going to visit some friends? I said, yeah, yeah, I got some few people there. They said, but that's not a tourist visa. That's a visitor's visa. And that's a completely different visa. You need an invitation from the Russian government that somebody on that side has applied for. I said, no, okay, no, I'm actually a tourist. No, no, I'm a tourist. I'm a tourist. I'm, I'm. They're like, no, 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 you're not. And, uh, um, I, and, and then I got the really, uh, um, like if you, an administration person at a Russian, any Russian administrator, it's just so useless to try and fight with them. But um, it's like, Nothing, nothing is going to change their mind or their heart. It's like a wall that you're looking at. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying, and I get really angry with this woman. And I said, listen here, I've been doing it for the last so many years. You've always stamped it. I need that visa. And she goes like, no. <laughs> you can apply and get someone on that side to apply to the government. I'm like, my tickets are bought. I need to go in a couple of weeks' time. And I'm like going off on her and she looks at me and she just walks away. <laughs> and I'm standing alone there and I'm thinking maybe she went to go and get a baseball bat or something. So maybe I must or get somebody else to get a, a, a baseball bat. So I, uh, I, I left. The, the, the problem with that, that trip was I've actually, for the first time, took some and organized that some other guys would go with that I would introduce on that side. I am the bridge. I'm kind of needed for this whole thing. And everything was organized, and suddenly now I can't be there. And, uh, you know, I, 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 for the first time, felt like it's me against the Russian government. I thought the odds is one to a thousand, one to a million year. I mean, I was like, David and Goliath, there's nothing. I mean, it's like, I'll, I'll tell them, I'll take them on. And I pray, and I pray, and suddenly there's just a confidence that comes over me. It's just, you know, and uh, I phoned the guys on that side. I said, listen, they declined my visa. Somebody needs to send me an invitation to the government. They say, listen, we send a letter to the government. That's going to take years. I mean, nobody wants you in any way years. So that thing is not going to be processed. There's no way that's going to happen. And in any way, the, it's just like, there's no way. It's like almost a week before the trip, I have no visa, no way to go in. And uh, one day a guy phoned me, um, and he says, he's, he's, uh, he's in Russia, South African ambassador, and I'm like, all right. He says, listen, just maybe give me your details. So I give him his details, my details. And I still hear nothing from him, and, and it's two days before the trip, and there's, you know, there's just no way. And this morning he phones me, he says, I've got a number for you, just fold it in, give it in. So I went back to the visa application, and I see no place to put in this number. So I phoned him, I said, listen here, I don't know where to put this number in. He says, no, no, you go to the embassy, you give the number, and everything will be fine. So I'm like, all right. I go, same woman. I said, um, uh, listen, uh, here's the number. She's like, 
Oh, sorry. She takes my passport. She comes back with a free, this is my visa, an ambassador's visa. I had no cost, nothing, and the woman is suddenly completely different. Here you go, sir. I walk in Russia as a, fr a friend of an ambassador. And it was, I mean, I know it's just like this, but it was for me just so many times that I felt like I stand against the force that, I mean, I'm, I'm like a mosquito. I'm like nothing. I'm nothing. The thing can... <laughs> as soon as I do this, but if I look like this and I can say, I come to you in the name of the Lord, I don't know how this thing is going to happen, but I look to you in the name of the Lord. There's a confidence. <sighs> Let's hold on. Let's hold on to that confidence. Now just even, anyway, we'll pray for wherever confidence has left us. All right, third one. Therefore, since we have a great High priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. You know what the word confession means in the Greek? It's homo logio. Homo logio is same homo, same logio is word. You know what? There's a word that God spoke over me. And I sometimes choose to speak a different word. Since you have such a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Anybody here feeling Jesus is far? Anybody here feeling God is far? Everybody feeling that the door and the, the distance between you and God is this big heavy door? Look, I've heard you. You've heard me. I've heard those words. Since you have such a great high priest that has came from the heavens to cancel distance between you and God once and for all, to break off every barrier that there ever is between you and God. I don't care how you feel. If you want to speak the words of your feelings, but if you have, and if you're going to remain the homologio, the same confession that he speaks, that I am a high priest that came from the heavens to cancel distance between you and God once and for all, that's different. Oh, I feel so different. I feel, I feel far. I feel I don't know where to go. And sometimes my confession slips out. But I confess similar to his confession. Since I have such a great high priest that has come through the heavens to cancel distance between me and God, I hold fast to that confession. I'm telling you, your heart is going to shout different to that confession. Your mind is going to speak different to that confession. The accuser of the brethren is going to speak different to that confession. There's so many voices that's going to speak different to that confession. And somehow, sometime we want to bend our knee and give in to that confession. A confession different than his confession. You know, it's, I know it's a little bit different, but I, um, a while ago, there's a visitor here at the church, and he's a farmer, 
So, you know, it's like there's a visitor and I kind of want to do a little bit of just chit-chat, make the guy feel comfortable and so on. He's a farmer. We've got a farm, so I thought, like, you know, I speak a little bit. So I ask a little bit and he asked me, how's it going there with your farm? And I said, yeah, it's going great. You know, it's in the Karoo and it's, it's going well. But there's this new weather pattern that's coming over and I expect it's called El Nino. And it's going to be a drought over that area. So I'm kind of thinking to reserve all the things that... Um, that I have, I'm not uh, just to, to prepare for the drought and so on. And uh, um, in the meanwhile, God spoke to us clearly the previous year that I'm going to give you a good year. He spoke to us. He said, I'm going to give a good year. But my confession to this guy is, look, there's a weather thing coming called El Nino that's going to bring drought. So I'm preparing for a lean year. This farmer is like as simple as he can be. He says like, what did he say to me? He says, I don't give those things names. And I don't call, you know, what's going to happen according to the names of those things. Who's El Nino? Doesn't God determine? And I'm thinking like, yes, you're the visitor, and you five minutes here, and you're already correcting the pastor here. <laughs> you know? Like these unrealistic farmers, you know, it's like, didn't know. But actually, this thing didn't leave me, you know. I'm like, oh. I know El Nino is there, and I know El Nino is the history of bringing so much drought, and I know all weather experts are telling us that it's going to be a drought. But there's a different confession. There's a different word that the Lord has given us. And what word am I going to hold on to? Jesus, you said. And I know you're bigger than El Nino. I'm sure. <laughs> so, so, so this holiday, it's like it hasn't rained for three months, and it's kind of predicted. It's kind of fine and how, how it should be. And uh, the weather predictions, which I still just consider, I just, it, it helps me sometimes, you know. It's like no rain. And on Narka's birthday, she will tell you, the 28th of December, uh, a rain cloud comes over. And it rains over our farm. And as the rain cloud goes over, the wind changes and blows the thing back. And it rains again. And then it blows it over. And every time it goes over, the wind changes and rains onto the farm. So our annual rainfall is 130 mils. In two days, we got 130 mils. <laughs> Seven kilometers from us is the town. It got six millimeters. And everybody around us, and I, at some states I felt like kind of bad. <laughs> like in the way that he blesses us, you know. And afterwards I'm looking at what guys are saying. It's like, you guys, we know we said El Nino and it's always dry and so on. But there has just been this unusual thing that has happened. And it's really just spread it. It's not like the area's gotten rain. But somewhere, some places, isolated, suddenly got a lot of rain. Don't know how to explain it. And it strike me, it strike me, you know, how my word, homologios, same word as the world's words, same words as the words of what I see with my eyes, same words as the words that I feel in my heart, my feelings, my experience. And I move away, I'm not holding fast to His word. What is he saying? What did he say? 
somehow I just, oh, can we all fast again today to where we have let go, maybe grab some other words, some other things, and hold fast again to that confession, that confession that we declared so boldly in the beginning, as the Hebrew believers did in the beginning. Just starting holding on to other words. Let's pray. You know, nothing brings us to maturity as good as Jesus. And I'm not, and it's not cliche here. He does it better than us if we hold on.